right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time to say All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1107 and 1320 KLWN. We make the jokes about Tom Brady and how old he is. Phil's got seven years on Tom Brady, albeit in a much less physically demanding sport. Oh, are we going to do this? I love these, the GOAT debates between different sports. Well, no, we're not going to do that because nobody's calling Tiger the goat. Woods or LeBron James. Pick one. Tiger Woods. Why? Uh, how many points has he scored? FedEx Cup? <laughs> I'm not doing that. We're not doing that today. Babe Ruth or Tom Brady? Hmm. You'd have to say Tom Brady. I do like that when they say, is he the goats of all goats? Is he the goat of sports? Like, so stop. Stop that. I did think it was funny on the broadcast yesterday that they were talking about if Phil were to win the PGA Championship, he would become the oldest player to ever win a major championship in golf history. And one of the guys, he wasn't, I think he was second in line, was old Tom Morris, who won it at age... Did you see this graphic? Why do you have to call him old Tom Morris? Why can't it just be Tom Morris? I love that, actually, because, because... Because he had a son named Tom Morris, and instead of just Tom Morris and Tom Morris Jr., they called him old, old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris. Factually... <laughs> You know, one of them was old and one of them was young. So it makes it makes sense. But what's funny, if you look at this graphic that they posted, the oldest major champion going into yesterday was Julius Boros, who was 48 years old in 1968. Old Tom Morris was 46 years old when he won the 1867 Open. And if you look at this picture, did you see the picture? No. He doesn't look 46 years old. He, no way. He looks in, like he's in his that 60s. That guy looks like David Letterman. Like now, David Letterman. With the long beard. It's why I really don't like hearing about sports feats from the 19th century or before. I mean, you won't find much before the 19th century. But whenever you hear about stuff from baseball in the 1800s, and you're like, oh, yeah, this dude pitched 700 innings in one season. He won the Cy Young. Uh, the MVP and Triple Crown. It's like, wait, what? He started, yeah, started every game, and every game was a complete game shutout. You're like, wait a minute. What was really going on back then? And that's, that's those, are, those are the questions I have for old Tom Morris because you can look at that guy and say, wait a minute. This, de- this dude was like one of the top golfers in the world back in the 1860s, which all that made me realize was I could have be. been old Tom Morris. You think so? He has four majors, four majors, 
He won the Open Championship four times in 1861, 1862, 1864, and 1867. See, but here's the thing with, like, like I don't know what his scores were because that's that's the big key. This isn't like basketball where well, it's they like— didn't even play like, They didn't even play four rounds back then. But what I'm saying, like, in basketball, you know, if you went back into 1870, you're going to have such a skill advantage and athleticism advantage, that kind of stuff. In golf, it's just based on what you score. So, sure, he might not be as athletic at you as you or have the same clubs, but, like, if you went out there on one of those courses and fired a four-under, like, are you going to fire a four-under on whatever major course that is? I don't think he was doing that, though, man. That's that's what I want to know. I want to know what he scored. Like, well, well, they weren't even playing 18 holes at the time. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, they played, like... Like, here's his winning score. I don't even know how to do this math. He went 54, 56, 53. So three rounds, clearly not of 18 uh, holes. How many? Yeah. This is in 1861. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. All I'm saying is that it's the same argument when we talk about, okay, Derek, you're what, 6'4"? You always give yeah. yourself an extra inch. So you want 6'5"? Six, six, four four half, so I want 6'5". Yes. Okay. We always talk about this. If you went back to the early James Naismith teams at Kansas, you know, the teams that were playing Topeka YMCA and William Jewell, you're one of the top players on the team, right? I would agree with that, yes. Based off your current skill set. Correct. There's a good chance you're the best player the game's ever seen. At, at that the point, time. At yeah. that point yeah, in time. The first year of basketball. Because those games right, are being yeah. played in the threes and like single-digit games. Yeah. And I think you would immediately hit the ground and be a double-digit score. Now, they'd be confused with the idea that you're like dribbling the ball around and, <laughs> you know, post moves. Like right. all of this would be foreign to them. Mm-hmm. It was basically glorified rugby when basketball first started. Yeah, I don't know if I could deal with the physicality, honestly. That's the thing is you're going to get injured a lot. Mm-hmm. So you have to prepare for that. But again, you're a big guy, which is why I would like your chances of being a dominant player better than my chances. Like, I don't, I don't, you and I have never played basketball together. I might be better than you. But back then, I don't think my lack of physicality would lend itself to performing right. well. Well, so, you know, you're a better jump shooter than I am, but I'm taller, so I'm going to get the rebound. If there wasn't a three-point line, like, what are you going to do? You know, you're not going to get away with the, uh, the three-pointer and, and slight defense. Exactly. Um, they were played over three rounds of 12 holes, okay? Okay. So, Oh, gosh. That's bad then, right? Well, what's 54? He was shooting in the 50s. I uh. guess we don't know the par of the 12 holes, but in theory, if if like an 18 hole is 72, you'd figure a 12 hole is about 48 is the course. So that means he was about, you know, if he scored a 56 on his second round, that means he was eight over. So do you think you could beat him on eight over on whatever that course is? Um, yes. Okay. Congratulations on your 1861 PGA championship. But you say that like it's a joke because we don't glorify people in baseball who did stuff in the 1800s. We don't glorify people in basketball who were playing in the 1920s because statistically – they didn't stack up. Nobody's impressed. You were playing games in the 20s, so of course you don't hold any records. But in golf, old Tom Morris is getting TV time 130 years later. For what? I think it's... I'm 
I'm offended on behalf of all the golfers that have come since him. Conspiracy theory, Tom Morris, the reason he looks so old, despite being only 46 years old, he actually developed how to uh, create a time machine. He's from the year 2200. He's actually 80 years old, but he got really into golf. He uh, went back in time, and he just decided he was going to win a major, you know? Mm-hmm. And he had to falsify a birth certificate. That's why he's 46. And I'm like an I'm a, I'm an average golfer too, man. But I think I think it, I would win. Can I take my clubs or do I got to go use their their Billy clubs and their shillelaghs that they if were? If you're going to go back around? in time, you have to use theirs. Otherwise, you're going to get you're going to get like burned at the stake. They're going to think you're a witch. <laughs> were they were they were they still burning people in the stake in Scotland in the 1850s? I don't know. The Salem witch trials were in the 1800s. I thought right. Yeah, I thought that was just an American thing, though. Or well, other countries. If it happened in America. Why couldn't it happen somewhere else? Fine, I'll use their clubs. Yeah, I'll use their clubs. I just think it's a little like to put Phil Mickelson next to old Tom Morris. It's like, come on, Phil Mickelson goes back in time. He's got forty-five majors. Phil Mickelson beats Tom Morris right-handed. Probably so. <laughs> I'll bet you Phil Mickelson beats most people right-handed. I want to start a new segment in honor of Phil Mickelson. I'm going to do this every Monday. Other people do it on other shows. You know, favorite thing to happen this weekend. We're going to change it. And maybe we'll move this to a Friday thing. We'll do it like throughout the week instead of the weekend. But here's my idea for the bit, okay? And I'm pitching this to you for the first time. You have not heard this off the air. But I spent all weekend thinking about it. And here's what I came up with. The bit is called Cool Dude Moment of the Week Mm. or Cool Dude Moment of the Weekend. When a cool dude does something that's super cool and makes you think that guy's a cool dude. And then we honor them by naming them the Cool Dude Moment of the Week. I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought you were going to say, like, wor- like worst thing to happen this weekend, no, no, worst no. person of the week. Positively. I okay. want to. It's positive. I want to promote positivity on this show. So, example, for the inaugural Cool Dude Moment of the Weekend, Phil Mickelson, with his cool sunglasses and his fancy watch and his gator skin belt, dressed in all black, wins the PGA Championship. At age 50. That is my cool dude moment of the weekend. Because that's cool. People win golf tournaments every single week. That's not a big deal. People don't win golf tournaments looking like Phil Mickelson, dressing like Phil Mickelson, and playing like Phil Mickelson. Because he played with some swagger. That was one of the coolest things, watching him walk down 18 with that mob of a crowd behind him. And Bruce Kepka said, you know, it was a little bit annoying coming off my knee surgery and I got people running into me. Like, I didn't like that. I, I, liked, I would have liked it if I were Phil. I would have liked it if I didn't come off a knee surgery. The fact of the matter is he would have liked it if he were winning and that mob was for him. But the mob's never going to be for you, Brooks. There's only a few players who will ever get that mob. Tiger's one of them. Phil's one of them. I don't even know if Rory gets that. But in the first major where we get fans back like that... That was one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen on a golf course. And there have been some great ones. And this is probably biased towards the fact that we haven't got it for a long time. I saw somebody point this out that Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship last year at Harding Park. No fans. Maybe he doesn't win as young as he is with fans in attendance. But conversely, Phil Mickelson doesn't win this past weekend without those fans because he feeds off of them. And they were providing him energy all weekend long. Did you see the one shot where he looks over to the kid? He's like kind of in the rough, just off the fairway. And he like asks you, what would you do here? 
kid's just like, well, if I could hit my, uh, I think, three wood or something, 260, yeah. I'd do that. He's like, I like what you're thinking. It's, There's, just, it's just moments like that. And yeah. The one that he had uh, out of the sand on, oh, gosh, what was that, like the fifth hole, seventh mm-hmm. hole, something like that. Like, that just kind of summed up to me. Once he hit that, it felt like to me it was going to be one of those moments. And I started to get that feeling yep. of, like, when Tiger Woods won the Masters. This is his day. Yeah. This is his week. There's something fascinating about old guys getting it done against a bunch of dudes who have seemingly every physical advantage over them. And that was never more evident coming down the stretch when you knew it was kind of over. 16th hole, Kepka blasts one, 361. He's one of the, the longest hitters on tour. 31 years old. Mickelson, at age 50, puts one out there, 366. It was the longest drive of the week on that hole. 50 years old. And by the way, I went and looked it up. I said, where is he at in driving distance? He ranks 48th on tour, Phil Mickelson does. So it's not like a guy who just found an extra strength. Like, this is a guy who has built it up over time. And if you go and look at the interviews he's done and seeing the sort of products he's shilling, like this stage of his career, much like it has for Tom Brady, has been predicated on getting the most out of what you have left. And with Brady, it's the physical side of things. It's the pliability, trying to make his body be able to withstand it. Well, Phil Mickelson's a golfer, so he doesn't have to do that. Instead, he's taking the approach of the mental side of the game, trying to sort of tap in to this mental aspect that he ignored for a long time, improving his focus and improving his ability to just get the most out of his mind out there. And he's one of those guys like Bryson DeChambeau. It's just his mind's always working, and you can tell. He's calculating everything while he's out there in a way that guys like Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson don't really do. See ball, hit ball, right? That's their strategy. That is not the case with Mickelson. And nobody was picking this guy to win. It's not like, oh, it's all been leading up to this moment because that's not what it was like at all. It came out of nowhere. And once it was there on Thursday, I think everybody was kind of on board with the fact that whether you're a Phil Mickelson fan or you're just along for the ride, that was the Cinderella story that everybody was rooting for. And that was very obvious watching the gallery and the way they reacted. So cool stuff. That's the cool dude moment of the weekend. How do you like it so far? Like it, um, but we're going to definitely run out of some moments here uh, as we get to the waning month, the dog months, I think they call it. It's going to be a lot of cool dudes. Hopefully dog there's a days. lot of cool dudes doing a lot of cool things in baseball uh, through the months of June, July, and August because that's about all we're going to have. But we still got other golf tournaments, so yep. maybe Phil... It's just whoever wins the golf tournament every week. No, but it's got they got to do it in cool fashion. Okay. All right? Like what Phil did with the sunglasses, that was cool. Wearing all black, that's cool. You can't just win a golf tournament. You have to do it in cool fashion. While we've gotten the old guys dominating in golf and football, it seems like it's the exact opposite in basketball. If you watched any of the NBA playoffs this weekend, dominant storylines were young players taking over winning games. None more so than Trey Young last night in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Because even if you're not an NBA fan, and a lot of people... They're like tiers of NBA fans, people who don't care about it at all. I think a larger portion of people don't care about it until the playoffs. They'll tune in during the playoffs. So for a lot of people, this is the first action you're seeing all year. You know who Trey Young is, and you know who the Knicks are. You may not know who many of the players on the Knicks are, but you know who they are. The Knicks are relevant in the NBA for the first time in what seems like 15, 20 years. They're hosting the game, first round of the playoffs, Trey Young. Right, little popsicle stick <laughs> I know exactly with some lint on it. Yeah, yeah. The, looks like a, like a popsicle got dropped on the carpet, man. 
And that last Lollipop. that last play of the game, it was basically as if his other four teammates were irrelevant. At no point in time was there ever a, a, the option of him passing the ball up to somebody. But he dribbles around and through two Knicks defenders, puts up a floater, game winner, and he's shushing the crowd who earlier was chanting, bleep Trey Young, bleep Trey Young. This guy is in his third season in the league. And one game in the first round of the playoffs isn't going to cement your status. It is not going to define your legacy as an NBA player, but it felt big. It felt big in that moment of looking at him, looking at this kid in the mecca of basketball, shushing the crowd for a fan base who has just been yearning for a moment like that to get shut up by this little kid makes you wonder, okay, maybe some of these young guns around the league have arrived and are announcing their arrival. Luka Doncic, Mavericks get a win over the Clippers yesterday. Devin Booker, Suns beat the Lakers, an aging Lakers team with LeBron James who didn't look like the alpha that we kind of expected him to, didn't look like the guy he did even just last year in the playoff bubble. John Morant of the Grizzlies, first taking down Steph Curry and the Warriors and then going and winning game one yesterday against the Jazz, the one seed, like, these young guns looking pretty darn good in the first round. And I don't know if that's going to be enough to get any of these guys series wins. I think the Suns probably have the best chance of the bunch. Uh, I guess if the I guess if the Hawks beat the Knicks, it wouldn't really be that big of a shocker. But it does sort of feel like it's a changing of the guard. And we're quick to, to latch on to new narratives in the NBA. Like one game can be enough for us to be like, oh, is it Trey Young's league now? I guess he's just in charge. Everybody goes through, and that's not how it works. But with the NBA, we're pretty fickle with our storylines, and we're pretty quick to say, okay, this guy's washed up, it's over, changing of the guards, hand the keys over to these dudes. The only reason it feels at least somewhat justified this time is because there's so many of them now. There's so many of them where you can legitimately look at them and say, they're going to be around, and they're going to be very relevant and competitive in the NBA for a long time. And hopefully that'll make for a really interesting product in the NBA playoffs. All right, he's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. We're going to talk some Royals baseball with David Lesky coming up here in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk. Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and they just launched their Lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer that says, your balls will thank you on the box. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. You might ask, well, how is it different than their other trimmers? Well, this upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. This is a great feature if your father or yourself do a lot of traveling. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. 
Royals won last night thanks to a walk-off home run from Carlos Santana. They beat the Tigers 3-2, so they won the series, winning 2-3 versus Detroit. And they've now quietly won 6-9 of nine since that 11-game losing streak, which is important. 6-9 of nine is about the pace I think the Royals should be looking to go for. No more, no less. And you'd say, well, why wouldn't you want to win as many games as possible? Because if you win as many games as possible, then people will notice And people haven't really noticed that you've won six of nine. If you win six of nine all season, what are you going to do, Derek? You're going to the playoffs, aren't you? You might be the best team in, you know, the entire league. What happens if you win every game, though? Everybody's going to have a target on you. Yeah, it'd be the greatest team of all time. Yeah. Why would you want that pressure? No. Why would you want those expectations? Throw a few losses in every now and then, right? It's like mixing a water in when you're going out to drink. You don't just have... Shot after shot after shot. You, you take a couple shots, then what? I'll have a water, please. Right? Just bring yourself back down to earth just a little bit. Don't win a bunch of games in a row or take the division lead. Just sort of hang around so nobody notices, but you're still relevant. And, and people have to go, oh, yeah, and, and the Royals, too, right? Because they're still hanging around there. We'll talk to David Lesky of Inside the Crown, Royals Review. He'll join us coming up in just a bit. Very interesting quote shared by one Fran Fraschilla who tweeted this out earlier today. ESPN College basketball analyst said this, quote, one top 40 program coach told me last week that they will no longer recruit high school players, but will live in the transfer portal. Quote, we're like the NBA. We can build through free agency or through the draft. We'll take the sure thing, end quote. There are over 1,600 kids currently with their names in the transfer portal. As you know by now, that is a record smashing the old record. And that number still continues to grow. Like, there's still kids who are making decisions and throwing their names into the transfer portal. There was a piece on The Athletic earlier today. This absolutely shocked me. Now, this was, it's a little bit dated. Um, By mid-April, so about a month ago, and you get to check me to see if anybody, if this has changed, but... There were only three high major teams as of mid-April who didn't have a player in the transfer portal. Alabama, Michigan, and UCLA. All three of those teams happened to be very good last year. All three of those teams happened to have a relatively new coach, Nate Oates, Juwan Howard, Mick Cronin. So there's just good vibes going around there. And there's probably a lot of guys who are thinking, let's run it back. We were good last year. Let's be better next year. Uh, this That was quoted by Eamon Brennan uh, on The Athletic, though. Do you think this is going to become more of a norm? Not players entering the transfer portal, but going back to the quote from Fran Fraschilla that more coaches are just going to look at this and say, why would I go after high school kids who I'm not sure how good they're going to be, who I'm not sure personality-wise how they're going to adjust from being the dude to being another dude, and who I don't have to worry about turning around and transferring again the next year because the beauty of the transfer portal is when you get a guy from the transfer portal, say, for instance, Joe Yesifu, one-time immediate eligibility transfer. So Joe Yesifu can't turn around and transfer from Kansas and go play somewhere else next year. He would have to sit out at that point. There's more stability in a way of getting these transfers knowing that it's not going to be someone who's going to turn around and leave the next year. So I'm, I'm not totally clarified on the rules. Can you still grad transfer without penalty, though? If you've already used your one year. Mm-hmm. Like, hypothetically, if a guy was a junior or going into his senior season, so after his junior year, 
He could use the one-time free waiver, then use the grad transfer back-to-back years? I don't know this to be true, but I don't think so. Hmm. I think at that point they're saying, no, you've already had the opportunity to transfer. This sort of removes grad transferring. Like uh, in the instance of, okay, you just landed Remy Martin. I can see a grad transfer. Is he using his one-time? Well, it wouldn't matter because he hasn't done it before. But oh, I, okay, I get what you're saying. So, I don't know. I, I guess that's interesting to me because that would be a question. But also— Let me just ask you this. Let me just ask you this. Mm-hmm. There are two names I think you could put right next to each other in terms of the impact that the their teams are expecting them to have. Ty Ty Washington was the number one target for KU seemingly all offseason. Late riser, had committed to Creighton— Decommitted after the comments made by their coach. But in that time period that he decommitted and other teams said we need a point guard, the kicker was that he was getting better. And he was having this awesome senior season where he's putting up crazy numbers and shooting up recruiting rankings. He went from fringe top 30 player to fringe top 10 player. Big difference between a guy that, oh, he might play. Let's see how he adjusts to your top 10. You're coming in, starting playing, making a big impact right away. In all likelihood, you're only getting him for one season. If things don't go quite according to plan, maybe he comes back for his sophomore year. But you're a top 10 player, top 15. The expectation is that you're a one and done. Remy Martin, senior, you know it's a one and done. You know you only get him for one season. You also know that he can produce at a high level in high major basketball. Didn't just do it once. Did it for four seasons. In each of the last two years, He was a first-team All-Pac-12 selection. Is there any world where a team would rather have Ty Ty Washington than Remy Martin? And if so, what's the explanation for it? No, I I don't think so. Uh, You know, okay, Kentucky, because that's John Calipari's shtick. He wants to bring you in. I don't. It's not a shtick, but he wants to bring you in and get these guys highly drafted in the NBA, and that's what gets him other guys. So yeah, Kentucky. They probably this is probably what they wanted. Um, but even Kentucky's hit the, the transfer market. So uh, maybe nobody, honestly. But here's the problem. I mean, you mentioned all the, the 1,600 guys in the transfer portal. This is the first year of the one-year or the free-year rule. So most of the guys basically are exhausting that one year right away. Mm-hmm. So you would think those transfer numbers dip. I'm not saying it's going to be a crazy difference, you know, but – if there's only 500 guys in the transfer portal instead of 1,600, now you can't do the whole thing where it's, oh, I'm going to make up my whole roster of these guys. You'll still be able to grab one or two. Maybe they can be the star of your team. You think this will be the most chaotic the transfer yes. portal ever is? Yes. because like but, you're said, still get, but Derek, you're still getting mm-hmm. thousands of players who are entering college basketball this season as freshmen. Mm-hmm. And those young guys are the ones that you would think are most likely to transfer. Yeah, yeah, correct. But right now, we don't just have the young guys. We have freshman, sophomore, junior, senior all transferring. Whereas filtering it a year, two years, three years, four years down the road, eventually it'll probably just be the freshmen who didn't like their role after that first year. So I the numbers s- are going to drop. I want to see percentages for the freshman class because that's going to keep happening. Like Freshmen are going to keep yes. showing up, not getting what they want, and moving on. I would love to see after three or four or five years of data. Like, Do you think it's going to be... More or less likely that that freshman stays another year or leaves after. Because right. I'll bet you it'll be closer to 50% than right. you think. Like a Joe Yesifu, he leaves after his sophomore year yeah. at Drake. If this would have been in pass a year ago, for all we know, he would have left after his freshman year and now been at like a, I don't know, like a low-end mid-major mid or high-end mid-major, like a Dayton or something yeah. like that. 
and then he wouldn't have been able to make this jump to Kansas. So right. that's what I'm going to be interested to kind of see how that works out. And also part of this, too, you know, it's almost like Moneyball. Um, the whole idea of Moneyball isn't everybody relates it to the A's, and it's like, oh, Moneyball, it's walks and getting on base. That's not what Moneyball is. Moneyball is finding the basically most efficient way to spend your money. So if everybody's spending money on outfielders, we're going to use our resources to get first baseman and infielders and this, this, and that stack category because they're cheaper because everybody's valuing home runs and blah, blah, blah. Same thing with this. If everybody starts valuing grad transfers, everybody starts valuing the one-time transfer rule, and you have more of these coaches coming out and saying, no, this is just how I'm going to build my roster, then all of a sudden you're going to have less competition for the high school kids, and then you're going to have other teams who just say, well, we'll just exploit the high school thing then. Yep, exactly. There's always, there's always going to be the best path forward, and coaches are always going to try and find that. And right now, it is very clearly the transfer portal, mostly because it's a free market. And if it's a free market, you can basically go in there and do whatever the hell you want. We're going to switch gears and talk some baseball. Our friend David Lesky joins us next. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get, obviously, the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do... More power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. All right, I'm bad at math, Derek. I need you to help me here. So we are about almost two months of the way through the Major League Baseball season. That is about 33%, right? Are we about 33% of the way there? Yeah, about that. We're ballparking it. Well, I mean, come on, you're my math guy. I need a little more certainty. Well, I mean, just the MLB season as a whole or yeah. just the Royals? Yeah, the MLB season. I mean, everybody's played different games, okay. but I mean, the Royals have played 45, which is less than a third, but it's more than a quarter. Okay, there we go. That's all so, I need. Yep, that's perfect. Thank you. I guess. That number comes to us courtesy of our official RCST statistician. Somewhere between 25 and 33% of the way through the season, there have been six, six no hitters thrown in baseball. The record for most thrown in one season is seven. Seems pretty likely that record's going to fall this year. Why? Why have there been so many no-hitters? Maybe our next guest has an answer. David Lesky, Inside the Crown Substack, Royals Review, joins us now on the show. All right, give it to us straight. David, tell us, why? Why so many no-hitters in baseball this year? Uh, let's see. Can I, I'm going to try to give you the shortest answer possible because I can talk about this for like an hour and a half. Um, pitchers are really, really good. And because of that, hitters know that a single is not going to do it, so they swing as hard as they can, hit the ball as far as they can, and when they don't make contact, there's no hitters. Can I can I add a uh, conspiracy theory here? I yes, think please. I love conspiracy. Okay, great. This is perfect. Um, <laughs> so obviously the MLB over the offseason, they kind of quote-unquote deadened the ball a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they also, I, I know they're taking samples or so they say of pitchers using substances, but so far they haven't cracked down on that. So between all that, pitchers being nastier than ever, being able to use substances they couldn't before, deadening the ball, I think that the MLB did all of this on purpose, knowing full and well they were going to move the mound back in a year or two, knowing full and well they were going to eliminate shifts because they wanted this to be as bad of an offensive season as possible so that fans, teams, everybody would be more accepting of the rule changes. So I'm holding my phone right now, but if I wasn't, I would clap. <laughs> because <laughs> that is that is brilliant. And, you, man, I love that. I they, Oh, God, that's awesome. Because you know what? You're right. Two years ago, three, whatever it was, that they first talked about moving or banning the shift. Everybody was like, this is a terrible idea. And I still think it's a terrible idea, by the way. I think the shift part is stupid. Um, but there are a lot more people on board with it now because they're tired of seeing two hit shutouts. So I, I think that is brilliant. Um, I, I don't even call that a conspiracy theory. I think it's just fact. I'm going to call it fact and, well, and we'll be done with it. <laughs> you skipped right over theory. You know, usually there's between conspiracy theory, there's a, just a regular theory, but no, no longer no. theory. It's accepted. It, it, it's accepted facts right now. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I mean, do you think there's a reason why, you know, these pitchers are so good. We can we can list off, you know, the exciting names, the offensive players in baseball. And, you know, there's probably more that have come up over the last couple of years with uh, Fernando Tatis and uh, Acuna that, you know, are becoming more and more household names. But why not more widespread improvement among these star offensive players that you're seeing with the pitchers? Well, I mean, I think when I wrote this on Friday, and, and the biggest thing is there, there's – what you have to keep in mind is the hitter never gets to dictate the action, right? The, 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 the game doesn't happen until a pitcher throws the ball. So he gets to decide when it happens, what he throws. The hitter is always reacting. There is never – well, not I – guess, I guess they're always technically reacting. Then there's times like Daniel Lynch showing what he's going to throw, and, and it, makes, it gives hitters a little easier job. But – in general, the hitter is always reacting to what the pitcher is throwing. And pitching, on top of that, has so many tools to get better. I mean, there's these slow-motion cameras. There's, there's the foreign substances, like you mentioned. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that, that can make pitchers better. And no matter what, hitters can be as prepared as possible, but they're always reacting to what – and then they have what? <laughs> three-tenths of a second before they have to make a decision. You know, it's just – it's hitting his – it's just – it's a hard thing. And even even before this, you you know, what's a good on-base percentage? 350, let's say. That means you're failing 65% of the time. You're failing roughly two-thirds of the time, and, and you're still very successful. So it, it's inherently difficult, and then it's even gotten harder over the last, I don't know, year, year and a half, two years, when as they've made some changes with the ball, too. So being reactionary, as we know clubs will be, and I don't know how soon you could expect any of these actions to take effect, but if you're, if you're building a, a roster, if you're building a lineup, do you change the types of players that you go after offensively? Do you change the emphasis that you're, you're making uh, in the draft or in, in free agency? Uh, maybe. Uh, I think the, the problem is the, the one thing that I think you can really attack is, is super patient hitters. Um, I mean, you look at a guy like Carlos Santana. Yeah. He's performing because he's taking pitches. He, he's he's seeing pitches out of the strike zone, um, not swinging at them. He's he's a guy who can kind of he's got such a good eye that he can he can react quickly 
to what these pitchers are throwing. Um, the problem is no matter what you do, it's still a, a lower percentage play to try for three singles than it is to try for a home run. And, and so no matter what you have on your roster, you're still, your better odds are to hit the ball out of the ballpark than it is to get a single to left field. So I, I, I don't know that teams are really going to change too much because, yeah, I mean, every team wants nine Carlos Santana's in their lineup. But there aren't that many of them. It's it, there's, you know, there, there's only a certain <laughs> certain number of players in baseball who can who can do what he does, and you know, I, I think there might be more of a premium on guys like him over the next few years. But other, otherwise, I, I don't know if there's going to be much of a change because, like I said, it's it's still a lower percentage play to go for the contact guys, to go for the guys who just simply slap singles all the time. I mean, look, the Royals lineup: Nicky Lopez at the bottom. He's he, yeah. he he's the guy. That I think you're kind of envisioning, right? Is, is it makes a lot of contact, slaps the ball around, can get a base hit. It's not working with him. Whit Merrifield has struggled for most of the season. Same kind of guy. It's not working with him. You know, there, there's these guys who you, in theory, seem to make sense. It's still not working with them. So you're still going to hit the ball out of the ballpark or try to at least. And I don't know. I think MLB has to step in and do something, or else, which you know, there, there's there's that fact of what's happening that they're making it even more palatable. Um, I, I just, I don't know that there's a solution on the field without, without the league stepping in. Talking to David Lesky here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, how soon do you expect Bobby Witt Jr. to be on the major league lineup? Uh, I don't know, tomorrow? No, I'm just kidding. Um, It'd be cool. Said, uh, it would be cool. Um, they're not going to bring him up on the road. Come on. It'll be Monday. Um, I said before <laughs> the season that I, I thought it might be around July 4th-ish and whatever the homestand starts around then. Um, the reason being, I thought, okay, he'll spend a month in double-A, a month in triple-A. Well, he started off really slow in double-A. He had a great weekend. Uh, went two for five every day. Hit a couple home runs, including a really, really long one. I can't remember if it was yesterday or Saturday that he hit the long home run. But um, so great weekend. I, I think it's probably second half, maybe late, late July, early August, somewhere in there. Seems to make sense. Now, if he... If he just continues to just absolutely roll in double-A, it could be way sooner. But um, if you're looking for a target date, I'd pick a Friday night on – or maybe not even a Friday. Pick a day on a homestand. I would not – they're not going to bring him up to go play in Buffalo is what I'm getting at here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think after the All-Star break, but, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a fairly safe bet that it'll at least be a home game when he comes up. It's exciting, and I and I and I don't know exactly. We've talked about this in various different ways. I don't know exactly how much it matters, but it's hard for me to remove the idea that bringing up a guy like that, who you expect to be a pillar of the organization, one of the the most exciting young prospects you've had since, I mean, offensive prospects probably back since uh, Hosmer and Moose. I yeah. wonder at the time. Those guys were brought up as sort of okay. This is a changing of the guard. This is when we're we're really going to start um, putting putting our stock and our eggs into these young prospects' baskets. Will it be viewed the same way with Bobby Witt Jr. Or do you sort of have to remove like where this team is at and what they're accomplishing in the short term from this is a big picture move bringing this guy up? Uh, well, I mean, it depends on how they're doing. You know, they brought Hosmer up in 2011, and they were I think 17 and 14. And surprising, and it, it was kind of, it was kind of like when they brought Lynch up a couple weeks ago. They were sixteen and nine, I think sixteen and ten, I get whatever it was, and kind of surprising. I mean, they were, you know, they were um, 
at, in first place, best, I don't know if they had the best record in baseball at that point, or if it was second or third best, but it doesn't matter. They were, they were on top of the division, all that. And then you, you get to Moose, and they're already at like 10, 12 games under 500 by, and probably not that far because it was mid-June, but a few games under 500 by then. And, and so things, things were a little bit different. So I think it kind of depends on where they are in the standings. If, if they're still hovering, you know, right now they're four games out. If they are four or five, six games out, and Bobby Wade Jr. comes up, I think <laughs> it's going to be a lot of the same stuff we saw with Hosmer, where it's, all right, now we go, you know, and, and, and it's time to, time to make up that gap in the division and all that. Um, but if they are where they were a few days ago when they were, what, seven out, seven and a half out, something like that, um, it's, I guess, a, later in the season, seven and a half doesn't seem like as much, even though it should seem more. But um, if there are a few more games out, I think it'll be kind of a, okay, I'm really excited to see how this works for 2022. So it kind of depends on the team. But with Bobby Witt Jr., I think people are so jazzed for him, and they've been ready for him since like that first home run he hit in March. or I don't know if it was March or February when he hit it. But whenever that was, people were like, okay, he's on the team. Let's do this. Um, I, I don't know what it'll matter, actually. I think I think there's going to be insane expectations. Um, but uh, he's he's equipped to handle them, at least. He, you know, he grew up in a big league clubhouse. He's he's been there, done that sort of thing. So that that's the good news. Um, I you know, hopefully he can get going a little faster than Hosmer and Moose were able to because it took him a couple of years. What do you think is the correlation between the struggles of Jorge Soler's season and the struggles of this team as a whole offensively? Well, I mean, we we talked about this after they they picked up the um, signed Santana and then picked up Benintendi. I did I. It did not. It didn't matter because where would they be without those guys? But if if Soler and Dozier didn't get back to what they were in 2019, it probably wouldn't really make a huge difference. And I'm not saying, like I said, Santana's made a huge difference. Benintendi's been really good for a few weeks now, um, so it, it has made a difference because they'd be bottom of the league instead of near the bottom of the league in a lot of categories. But they they haven't scored runs <laughs> and. And Jorge Soler has been a big reason why they haven't scored runs. Um, I still can't quite figure out why they insist on getting Ryan O'Hearn's bat in the lineup to play Jorge Soler in right field. You get a DH who can't hit, and that, that makes you play a right fielder who can't field. I don't. It just doesn't quite make sense to me. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that they need Jorge Soler. They absolutely need Soler to be. It's not what he was in 2019, even because that was phenomenal. But what he was in 2018, you know, he was a 270, 265 hitter, 350-ish on base, 460, 470 slugging percentage. If they get that in the middle of the lineup, they are so much better than what they are right now with him. Um, but he's just he's not there. And the problem is, like I said, I, they, he's, he's the key. They're not going to get where they want to be without him, but they're not going to get where they want to be with him the way he is right now. So I don't know if you have to let him hit his way out of it. I hope he does. If you just put things off long enough until a guy like, I don't know, Nick Prado, who had a phenomenal weekend, maybe he can come up and play first and shift Santana to DH. Maybe maybe that's the answer. I don't know. But it's not happening right now. So they need Soler to hit, and they got to figure out a way to make it happen. Is the sample size on Soler big enough to wonder if, if it's reasonable to ask him to be that guy again? I think it is just because if you look at, 2018 through 2020. It's not a, not a huge sample because obviously 2018 he got hurt and 
I want to say early June, and then 2020 obviously was a short season, and he missed some time with the oblique injury. But if you take all three of those seasons, he was a, he was a solid hitter. I mean, even if you take away 2019, this was a guy who was an above-league average hitter at the very least. And so I, I think you can rely on – I think you can hope for that. I, I don't know. 20, 2019 obviously looks like the huge outlier. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to be looking for a 5, 550, 570 slugging percentage, whatever it was. But I think, like I said, you can look for the guy who can slug, give you a two, 220 isolated slugging percentage, which is slugging percentage minus batting average. That kind of shows – extra base hit power. I think that's a guy you can count on. Um, but you know, right now it's not even close to any of that. It's just, it's just a disastrous plate appearance after disastrous plate appearance. And then every so often he'll give you this glimmer of hope and he will just absolutely smoke a ball. Yesterday he hit it one, one Oh eight to dead center. And it was just crushed and he gets caught. <laughs> he's he, so he's suffering a bit from, from bad luck in that instance. But even if he did, even if some of those fell in, he would still be hitting poorly. So, I, I think that you can hope for 2018, settle for 2020, and dream on 2018, 2019, basically, at this point. Well, okay. I guess we'll dream. We've got our theories. <laughs> we've got our dreams. We've got a lot to go off of today. Positivity was uh, the theme of this one, even though it didn't seem like it at times. David Lesky, you can check out his work. Inside the Crown Substack gets you the best Royals content in your inbox every single morning, and you can check out his work at Royals Review as well. Always a pleasure, David. Thanks for the time, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. All righty. That is David Lesky with us on Rock Shock Sports Talk. Yeah, Jorge Soler is kind of like that guy. If you have a golfing buddy who's not any good, but he's – I have this one friend who – he's the worst golfer I know, but he's massive and he's strong and he can rip the ball. And most of the time, he's not even making contact with it. He's just dribbling it barely off the tee box. But when he gets a hold of it, he's out driving everybody by 50 yards. And that's great, right? But then what do you do with it from there? He's going to oh, just sh- use him in scrambles. Yeah, exactly. Know? He'd be great for scrambles. But when you count on him to hit shot after shot, you're often going to be disappointed. And that's kind of how I feel with Jorge Soler. You know, if all you needed him to do was come out and, and put bat on ball, Hit a few home runs, that'd be great. But you look at the numbers, 182, only got four home runs. What is it exactly you'd say that you do here? All right, he's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And you know what's coming up next? The final installment of RCST Trivia. That's right, the RCST Trivia Championship. Coming your way on the other side. Quick shout out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros, and the Lawrence Public Library. Our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor Patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese. The Haney Turkey Stack or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and taproom located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry, you can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com.
We are just moments away from the championship matchup in the RCST Trivia Tournament. But before we get to that, let's send it over to the public address announcer, Joel Becker, for our introduction. Good afternoon and welcome to the 2021 RCST Trivia Championship. 382 days ago, Isaac Henderson made history by becoming the first ever RCST Trivia Champion. And as we stand here on the day of the second installment of this event's title match, he'll look to make history once again and further solidify himself as the greatest contestant this game has ever seen. But standing in his way is Eric Hansey, a man who came oh so close to the title fight a year ago, but instead had to settle for a third place finish and an off season of what ifs. Well, there will be no consolation prizes this time around. Instead, Eric will seek to etch his name alongside Isaac in the annals of RCST trivia history. Tiger and Jack, Federer and Nadal, LeBron and MJ. Will Isaac and Eric become the next great debate in sports history? It's less of a rivalry and more of an arms race. Two of the best to ever do it, further pushing the envelope, crushing the competition and breaking records in the process. But they're not here for the accolades or the adoration. They're here for the hardware. A win today is more than just another victory. For Isaac, another title further cements his status as the GOAT, while a win for Eric levels the playing field and proves that nobody is immortal in the world of trivia. There is a gulf between being 2-0 and 1-1, yet only a razor's edge exists between winning and losing. History will be made here today. That much we already know. But who will make it? We're about to find out. The second annual RCST Trivia Championship starts now. This is the final installment of RCST Trivia. And you know the names by now. You know the competitors. You're familiar with them. We've heard from them countless times here on the show. I believe... In terms of matchups, so this will be the 12th appearance for both of them. Isaac, 11-0 in lifetime matchups. Eric, 10-1. So both being featured on RCST Trivia for the 12th time. As you know by now, those are both records. And uh, they'll be records that will be held into next season because they're both going today. First up, the defending champ, 44-4 all times. In questions asked, 27 and 3 this year, including a historic performance a week ago in which he went 12 and 2 on questions in order to get past Tyler in the Phenomenal Four and make it back to the championship round. He is the defending champion looking to add to his already illustrious record book. Isaac with us once again in the RCST Trivia Championship. Isaac, how do you feel? Hell, you know ready to go um i think after the last matchup uh definitely definitely drained from it but uh you know i think the adrenaline uh carried me through the past week and uh ready to give it another run at it today you won this event a year ago isaac and that's an accomplishment in and of itself nobody expected you to come back and do it again because of the volatility of this tournament even if you're the number one and we see it all the time in college basketball even if you're the top dog it's so hard to make your way through a single elimination tournament, but yet here you stand once again, one victory away from simply cementing your status 
as the greatest of all time? Have you allowed yourself to think about the legacy and what's at stake here if you're able to win yet again? Um, a little bit here and there, um, but you know, quite frankly, we we expect to uh, compete for championships around here, and I think it'd be a little more surprising if I wasn't on the show here today. Wow. Okay. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, and Isaac is towing it right now. Obviously, you're familiar with your competition, I would assume, Isaac, yet you guys have never went head-to-head before. It's one of those weird deals where you guys both have, you know, your own status, yet you've never faced off against him. What do you know about Eric, and what are you expecting from him today? Uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, like I said, you know, if you, if you get to this point in tournament, one year uh, it's an accomplishment and it's a worthy uh worthy competitor but do it two years in a row um so we certainly know that eric knows his stuff and uh expecting probably not as long as last week but a pretty long match up here today before last week's slug fest between isaac and tyler he was actually the all-time leader in questions asked now just trailing by two I don't think mathematically it would work out for him to be able to yeah, mathematically impossible for okay eric so no matter what not going to be able to get back there, but still a respectable 42-2 and two all-time in questions asked. And despite being second in correct answers, he is first all-time in correct answer percentage. 19-1 and one this year, third-place finisher from a season ago, the one seed from the South region, making his RCST Trivia Championship debut. Eric, back with us on RCST Trivia. Eric, you fell... One round shy of making it to this game last year. So you've knocked down this door. What's it going to take to knock down yet another door and take out the defending champ? Well, it seems a common theme throughout this so far, at least from where I've sat, that um, I've gotten a little lucky with some of the questions and, and the order in which they've gone and um, multiple times have not known an answer that a competitor missed. So um, I think in listening to Isaac's at least this year, I, I can't imagine that there's going to be too many where he slips up on. So it's really just going to have to be the luck of the draw, I feel like. Um, I mean, he's got the historical knowledge, the recent knowledge, all of it. So been trying to cram a little bit, watching a lot of Al Pacino from any given Sunday, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, Miracle, trying to watch some good pump-up speeches just to get my get myself ready. So um, I think, you know, like he said, we're, we're both here because we deserve it. So um just going to let it fly and see what happens. Eric, yesterday, Phil Mickelson made history becoming the oldest major championship winner in the history of golf. I don't know how big of a golf fan you are, but that's bigger than golf, right? Phil Mickelson's been around for decades now. Seeing that performance, did you draw any inspiration from that? Watching the old man, so to speak, take down the young buck and Brooks Kepka. Do you, do you draw any parallels there as you take on Isaac today? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of people say I've got calves like Phil Mickelson, so there's a good start. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, listen, it's, uh, I, I think everyone expected Phil to kind of wilt, especially after that first hole yesterday. And, and he, he persevered and hung strong. So, um, you know, going to try to just kind of follow his footsteps and, just try to outwork the young gun today. All right, guys, we're excited for this one. It is a marquee matchup. It's a big matchup no matter what when you get to the championship round, but you're talking about two titans of RCST trivia between Isaac and Eric. Guys, the introductions are done. The fanfare is behind us. 
Let's get down to it. All right, you guys know the deal by now. For the final time this year, I'll give you one primer in case you guys forgotten your 11 previous matchups, how this thing works. I'll be asking you a series of KU basketball trivia questions. We will alternate back and forth between the two of you. The questions will get progressively more difficult as you answer them correctly and move throughout the rounds. You will have 30 seconds to answer. Your timer starts as soon as I get done asking the question, and we'll play you a five-second warning when you hear this ticking sound. That means you have five seconds left to answer. Leave it all on the line today, fellas. This is the last one, no matter what. Win or go home. So throw something out there. Give yourself a puncher's chance. You guys know that by now. You are grizzled veterans here in RCST Trivia. And this is a bit of a first, right? Because we've got two one seeds. So I'm thinking to myself, who's the underdog? Well, it can't be the defending champ. He's never been beaten. So Eric, a little un, uh, uncharted territory for the first time this year. You have the option of answering first or second. So uh, what's it going to be, man? You know, I was actually thinking about that this morning. I haven't had to make that decision um, yet. I will, uh, I'll, I'll go second. Let's, let's just see how that goes. Okay, let's see how it goes. It's the RCST Trivia Final. The winner taking home a 65-inch Samsung TV. A grizzly cooler, courtesy of Toppling Goliath. And that hardware, baby. The RCST Trivia Trophy. Isaac, if you win, we may name the trophy after you. We'll see. All right, here's your first question, Isaac. What KU senior guard scored 28 points in KU's Elite Eight victory over Arizona in 2003? Kirk Heinrich. Kirk Heinrich is correct. Eric, your first question. The KU record for most career NCAA tournament assists is 104 by this guard who played at Kansas from 2002 to 2005. Aaron Miles. Aaron Miles is correct. Back to you now, Isaac. In KU's victory over Maryland in the 2016 Sweet 16, what Jayhawk forward had a team-best 27 points, including a second-half stretch where he made five field goals and five free throws without a miss. Perry Ellis. Perry Ellis is right. Eric, question number two for you. Despite losing to Northern Iowa, this KU center logged a double-double of 13 points and 10 rebounds in KU's second-round upset loss. Cole Aldridge. Cole Aldridge is correct. Two for two. Would expect nothing less. I believe in last year's championship game, it was only five questions, if I remember correctly. So we're on question number five right now. We go back to you for your third question. Isaac, over the last 50 years, the most rebounds in a single game by a Jayhawk was 23. What KU big man accomplished this feat Causing Dickie V, Dick Vitale, to give him a standing ovation. Nick Collison. Who could forget the standing O? Everybody likes to talk about that. No, Dickie V never does that. I think it's Tim Duncan and Nick Collison. I could have sworn he did it for some random Florida State shooter a couple years ago. Went off for like 30 points. Maybe. Maybe so. Back to you now. Eric, this KU big man from the 1990s. Owns the school record for most career double-doubles with 56. 
What's his name? Grateful Friends. I was a little bit surprised by that one. I thought, really? Danny Manning? He crushed him, too. Crushed him. It's not even close. All right, Isaac, question number four. In 2012-2013, what KU wing set the school's freshman record for free throw percentage, shooting 87% from the line? Ben Max is one. That is correct. <clears throat> Eric? The previous record holder for highest free throw percentage from a freshman shot 80% in 1992 as a freshman. He's now a part of the Jayhawk Radio Network on the basketball radio broadcasts. What's his name? Greg Gurley. There we go. Greg will be happy to know that uh, for the first time he has been featured on RCST Trivia. It took the championship round, but Greg, we didn't forget about you, man. I'm honored. <laughs> He's honored. All right, Isaac, question number five. This KU point guard from 2002 to 2005 owns the school record for most career 10 assist games. He had 21 of them. What's his name? Aaron Miles. Aaron Miles is correct. Eric, we go back to you now. Aaron Miles also is KU's all-time assist leader. He has 954 of them in his career. Second on that list is what KU guard who played from 1994 to 1997. Got fun. All right. This isn't even fun. This isn't even fun. These guys have taken a combined like 15 seconds to answer these questions. So uh, what else would you expect? It's the championship round, the title bout of RCST trivia between Isaac and Eric. Isaac, back to you now. This Jayhawk player holds the record for most free throw attempts in a single season with 399 of them. Next highest on the list only has 292. Who holds that mark? Who's the the, the first one, the highest? Yes. Will Chamberlain? That is correct. It wouldn't have mattered if he answered the second highest, too, because that was Wilt also. Oh, they're both Wilt. By the way, 50th career correct answer for Isaac. Wow. Congratulations to you, Isaac. Don't take a victory lap just yet, okay? That was a test. When I say congratulations before you win, you're not supposed to celebrate, and you did. I'm just kidding. A little, little roof raising over there. I'm just kidding. All right, Eric, back to you now. What KU player holds the school record for most career 10 rebound games? Man. I mean, it, 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 no way is it Ray for friends. Same question. I'll go Ray for friends. Almost talked yourself out of it. I, well, it's the same question. I feel like it's crazy. It is. It is. And that's the thing. We don't, we don't correlate these, so I don't know that you're going to get that question and this question ahead of time. Um, but that's uh, it's kind of a giveaway, right? Like, if you know he's the double-double leader, there you go. All right, Isaac, back to you. 
who led Kansas in three-point percentage in 2008? In order to qualify, you must have taken at least 40 attempts. Brandon Rush. The correct answer is Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers led the team. Okay. Eric, if you get this right, you will be named the RCST Trivia Championship. In 2007, this freshman big man had 54 blocks, which is third all-time by a freshman in school history. Who is it? Darrell Arthur. Wow! That is correct. I would have thought Julian Wright. Eric, you have been tested. You went up against the best, and you won. You are the champion of the 2021 RCST Trivia Tournament. Congratulations. How does it feel? Uh, shocked. Uh, probably, you know, let's use the analogy. Phil walking off the green yesterday. I think he looked a little shell-shocked, and I, I, I feel the same way. I don't even really know how else to answer that right now. Now, I don't know exactly what you thought your area of expertise, your forte would be. You said you were doing a, uh, some last-minute cramming. Did any Darrell Arthur uh, information come up in that study session? Uh, no, he just happens to be kind of one of my favorite players, uh, followed him throughout the NBA and kind of brother-in-law and I have a little bit of a joke on how much money he's made in the NBA. So just honestly have a bunch of Darrell Arthur crap stuck in my head. Um, so as soon as you said freshman in 07, that's kind of right where my mind went. Yeah. Derek, you said Julian, right? Julian Wright would have been, yeah, I would have got the double wrong. He would have been the year before, right? Yeah. Yeah, He would have been the year before, but that's right. Uh, the question that eliminated Isaac our defending champ, leader in three-point percentage in 2008. Brandon Rush, your guess, Isaac, 42%. Mario Chalmers shot 47%, 47%, which is absurd. Isaac, you haven't missed many questions. Uh, I don't know how many of the ones that you have missed you have remembered. Are you gonna? Is this one going to stick with you for a while? I think I could tell you... Every single question and what the answer was. Um, the the ones you missed stick with you. Um, but, you know, the uh, the champion club of RCST trivia has gotten a little lonely. So, uh, <laughs> very, very welcome. Very, very A new addition is very welcome. Yeah, how does it feel, man? This is your first ever RCST trivia loss. It comes in the championship game, right? It's not like you got upset in the first round. You didn't slip up and, and lose one to somebody you shouldn't have. You went up against another guy who's pretty battle-tested himself. How does it feel um, now in the wake of your first ever loss? It's it's definitely not as much fun as fun as winning. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it had to happen eventually. Um, and if anything, it uh, just just makes you a little hungrier to go back and win it again next year. So maybe this is something that happens behind closed doors, you know, in the tunnels, you know, behind where the media attention is is coming and and the cameras. But what advice do you pass on to Eric? You know, you've been here before. You've spent the last year as the champion. This is an all a new experience for Eric. So if you're passing on a message or a word of advice, what's it? What is it? 
I def- definitely enjoy it. You know, it comes with, uh, comes with a lot of fanfare, um, you know, definitely just, you know, when it last year was definitely a lot of fun um, the past year, you know, kind of being, being the king, being on top, you know, it's, it's definitely a ride. You know, it, it just takes, just takes one question to knock you off. So just enjoy it while you have it. Eric, you've accrued a lot of prizes between last year and this year. You can now add 65 inch television screen. You can now add uh, toppling Goliath cooler from Grizzly coolers. You can now add a championship trophy to that man cave. I know you've got a great office with jerseys. You've got all the Sports Illustrated covers behind you. How do you celebrate now? You've you've won it all. You've got the accolades. You've got the prizes. You've got the hardware. What do you do to celebrate this win? You know, I think you go KU and 08 style. I mean, we're not down on the Riverwalk, but, um, you know, stay up all night and uh, try to make it to the presser in the morning with uh, as bloodshot of eyes as possible. So... <laughs> Uh, still got a, you know, a little bit left in the work day here, so can't get too crazy yet, but, uh, certainly will later. Well, congratulations to you, Eric, a deserving champion representing RCST trivia the right way. Isaac, same to you. Also a deserving champion. We got two champions in the midst. And now as we enter next season, it's going to be two guys sort of leading the pack. Everybody chasing behind Eric, Isaac, you guys have been phenomenal mainstays in this competition. So happy to have you guys a part of it. Thank you for another great run here in RCST Trivium for a great championship match. Appreciate both you guys. Shout out to Nick and Derek. And Derek, I know you put all the questions together. Appreciate all the hard work you guys do. It's, it's a cool deal. Have you still not heard? MLS is back and Sporting Kansas City is back in action. After finishing first in the Western Conference last season, Sporting KC is back in action and hungrier than ever to paint the wall. The best part is you can watch Polito, Russell, Busio, and the rest of our boys in Sporting Blue live in a limited capacity crowd again this season. To attend a match in person, go to SeatGeek.com SKC and be sure to use code SKCRCST at checkout to receive an exclusive discount just for being a Rock Chalk Sports Talk listener. Again, use code SKCRCST at SeatGeek.com slash SKC before it's too late. RCSD Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa or call 785-749-4808. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. I'm going to be honest with you, man. It's a little shocking. A little shocking to see it end that way. It's mostly that I didn't expect Isaac to miss that question. Not to say that it was an easy question necessarily because when you think about 2008, Three-point shooters, you think about two guys, right? You think about Brandon Rush and Mario Chalmers. But what your memory would dictate isn't necessarily aligned with what the statistical you know, breakdown would look like because statistically, Mario Chalmers blew him out of the water. You're talking about 47% to 42%. But which, again, if you didn't go back and look at those numbers, maybe you wouldn't know. The reason why it's shocking is because I know that Isaac goes back and, and looks at those numbers, and I would imagine he's kicking himself after missing that one. I'd imagine he's sitting there right now saying, how did I get that wrong? How did I not know it was Mario freaking Chalmers? Right. right. You know? Yeah. 
No, you feel bad. I mean, it's but it's that's guy's it. First defeat. And, and that's the thing. That question could have come up any round, any of the previous three or four rounds, but it didn't. And that's why you got, you know, a marquee showdown. And I here's what I I know will happen. I'm gonna get texts from people who lost in the in the final four, maybe or the phenomenal four, eight, or the grade eight, and they're gonna say, "Oh man, I would have gotten that." It's like, yeah, I know, I know, but that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. We got our marquee matchup, you know. This is, in my opinion, becoming a a LeBron Jordan thing. But even <laughs> LeBron Jordan, have they really separated themselves from the pack? Because what it is really becoming is a thing where it doesn't matter who's in third. Like uh, Federer yeah, Nadal. See, I, it's I, don't Federer Nadal. I don't even want to go that far because, you know, if you want to make the t- tennis comparison, I think you could say there is a Djokovic. Like, Tate beat Eric last year and then lost in the final to Isaac. So, like, you could throw him in the mix, you know? Um Andrew Wymore misses one question all tournament, or I guess two because the third place game as well, and those are his only two losses. You know, Tyler goes toe-to-toe for 14 rounds with Isaac. Like, I don't think this is just two guys versus the field. I think it's just these two guys have shown they're the best, but I I don't think it's far off. Like, would you be that shocked if Eric or Isaac lost in the grade eight next year to some good opponent? I wouldn't. No. I mean, it'd be a little surprising, but... That's just I, there's so many people who are good at this. I mean, Eric was on the ropes against Landon, yeah, in the Grade Eight, you know. So he almost didn't even make it back, and now he is the champ. Okay, so uh, goat debate: who's number one? I teased this last week. I said if Eric wins, we have a conversation. Both have a title. Isaac has one more career win, but Eric has the head-to-head. Well, I would think that winning the title this year is tougher than winning the title in year one. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. You know what to expect in one regard, but I think there's still Last year probably had tougher questions, though, because it wasn't just KU. It was Big 12. Yes. Um, but for anybody, both those guys specifically, mm-hmm. they knew what to expect this time around. Yet, I feel like our field was stronger. I would agree. Yeah. Other people knew what to expect, too. Um, so, I think you're splitting hairs there. Uh, Eric has the head-to-head that's big. He's got the all-time questions answered correctly percentage as well. He's number one by a long shot there. Um, what would your response? I'm not. I'm not be? willing to. I'm not willing to do it. Yeah, in two no, years. I'm, I'm fine with that. In as well. two years, it's not enough. But I do think like that's going to be a rivalry. Everybody's going to circle and say, "I hope we get another one of those." Oh yeah, you know? and that's and that's what that's what I think it should be noted here is rivalry was born today. Yeah, and you couldn't have called it a rivalry had Isaac won because at that point, if you would have had two. Titles to zero. Where's the rivalry? That was with the, the head-to-head win on top of it. 1979 NCAA national championship game between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. It was the first of what could be many, mm-hmm. many championship games. And you know what else is kind of exciting? Um, we mentioned last week that all the guys who made the Phenomenal Four this year are going to get one seeds. Now it lines up that if all the one seeds next year made it to the Phenomenal Four, it'd be Phenomenal Four rematches. Yeah, but that's I know that's. Not gonna happen, Not likely, right? right? Um, I'll say this though: uh, what would your what would your response be to somebody who would say, "Wow, Derek, you picked Eric to win it all. Wow, Nick, you picked Isaac to win it all, and they ended up in the championship game." Mm-hmm. Is this staged? Uh, what would my response be to <laughs> that baseless allegation? No, I'll tell you this: I don't care who wins it. I think it's good for the sport that Eric won. It's good for the competition that Eric won. We might have had is Isaac 
the UConn, the women's basketball yeah. conversations? Are they bad for the yeah, sport? Yeah, I mean, and know? if Isaac would have won, that's its own storyline. Because, like, that, the, you get to pick between two storylines. Either you've got a rivalry is born, or now Isaac took on Tate, who proved again this year he's one of the top competitors. Isaac took on Eric, who proved once again he's one of the top competitors. If he would have beaten both of them, that would have been the storyline of, is this kid untouchable? Can anybody beat him? Because we've seen the best of the best, and whoever's fourth, whether it's, you know, uh, Andrew Wymore, you've still got uh, Liam. I mean, if I look at Tyler, who pushed him as far as anybody had until today, almost makes me wonder, was that blood in the water? Mm. Was that Eric smelling blood in the water? This once, Once you can see that he bleeds... Then you can seize the opportunity. Yeah, it was almost like, you know, Gonzaga, that was a comparison thrown out to Isaac, that he was this unstoppable force. And if Isaac was the Gonzaga, he got pushed in the phenomenal four, like Gonzaga did with UCLA. Yeah. But then, all of a sudden, maybe the lesser talked about guy, Baylor comes in and just, they perform well. So If uh, I gave you Isaac and Eric versus the field next year. I take the field. There's too many good competitors. I mean, you heard Eric say, like, there were a couple questions series of questions over the course of this tournament that he didn't know his opponent's answer. So it's sometimes just kind of luck or the draw in that way. I know that the numbers would would tell you that you're right there, but we've had two years. We've had four phenomenal four spots up for grabs. And these two guys have taken half of them. (laughs) We have had four championship appearance opportunities these two guys have combined for three of those four so history would tell you it's difficult to keep doing this forever but the data would tell you they might just do that yeah no it's possible um but here's the other thing the blueprint's out there now everybody know everybody two years you should know exactly what it's going to take you should know exactly what it's going to take to to be able to go toe to toe with these guys, just go back and listen to the competition between Isaac and Tyler. Like if you want, if if I would give anybody one piece of advice, what do I need to do to get ready and to be better? Go listen to that matchup. Listen to the types of questions that are being asked at the beginning, all the way till the end, because that is as wide ranging of a spectrum of what you could or should expect if you're competing in this tournament. Yeah, and I mean, for all we know, there's somebody out there who hasn't ever joined RCSD trivia who could be a Titan if they decide to join, you know, like it's, it's that kind of mentality of if you're LeBron James, you're thinking about, Oh, well there's a 16 year old right now who's training to become the next great NBA player. And he's going to be up here. You know, what if there's some 17 year old who hasn't thought about joining trivia and then gets out to college next year. And is like, you know, I could do this. Isaac was 20 when he won. He's 21 this year. Mm -hmm. I can do this. And now there's new competition. So you just don't know how uh, it's going to kind of go about. Um, but, hey, like Tyler, you know, you see Eric finish third last year. That was what Tyler did this year. Why not? Yeah. Hey, I do want to give another shout-out to all of our sponsors um, who obviously gave us an incredible prize pool. Everybody who made it to the round of 16 is taking home some prizes. Eric gets the grand prize. He's getting a 65-inch Samsung TV. He's getting a Grizzly Cooler from Toppling Goliath. He gets the championship trophy. Everybody who made it to the Final Four got the the uh, four-pack of tickets to see Sporting Kansas City games as well as uh, the custom jerseys for the two championship uh, participants. You get the two dozen golf balls, the Vice golf balls with the RCST logo on them. So big shout-out to all, all of our sponsors, 23rd Street Brewery, 
Toppling Goliath Brewing Company, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, CBD of Lawrence, Jayhawk Trophy, River Rat Print and Skate, Hawaiian Bros Island Grill, and Lawrence Public Library. I believe that's all of them. Couldn't have done it without you. That's what makes this tournament fun. It's it's something to do, and it's a pride thing. But also, we've had phenomenal prizes to give away, which obviously is going to increase interest. And I'm hoping that once again next year, we're going to have even more prizes to give away and even even better field of, of prizes for people so we can get more better uh, competitors in this event. Because I, I think that while this year was a huge upgrade over last year, it's going to be the case again next year. And eventually we're going to have to start fending people off to where it's not just uh, whoever wants to be in this can be in it. Because that's the fact of the matter is it has been. Whoever wanted to be in this event this year could get in. I'm not convinced that's the way it's always going to be. Man, I'm, I'm already hearing people in my ear whispering expansion. Expansion. Teams, not, no, we're not. Ex- 256. We'll never expand. <laughs> we'll never say never, but we'll never expand. No, every, well, every we could year do, at the we, end of it, I'm like, I wish there was more. But then when we get back to the first round and we're having to schedule out all these first round appearances and guys are backing yeah. out and rescheduling, then I'm like, no, we, we that's a good number. We're never going to expand this event. What we could do is perhaps throw in a KU football mm-hmm. trivia competition. I know we teased it last week. Now that this competition is officially over and in the rearview mirror, perhaps uh, the committee will get together and start kicking the tires. Just maybe look at what it would take, what the feasibility would be, what the interest level would be, because that's the most important part. If we can't get enough people who would be interested in being in it, then uh, we're not going to do it. So we'll be kicking the tires, and one way or another, one way or another, there will be an announcement in the coming weeks or months once we reach a conclusion, and we'll let you know. It'll either be, yeah, we're doing it. This is when we're going to do it. This is how it's going to work, or it just ain't going to happen. But I will just tell you, be prepared for a statement coming on that in the future. RCST Trivia 2021 in the books. Eric Hansi, your winner, taking down the number one overall seed, the defending champion, Isaac Henderson. Thanks to everybody who participated. You guys were awesome. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to everybody who listened along and enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. And another one in the books. All right, not not time to get too sentimental now. Let's move on with the day. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk.